order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Stephen Kerr. Yeah. Question number one, sir. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, I'm sure members across the House will wish to join me in marking Holocaust Memorial Day this Sunday. It is an opportunity for us to remember all those who suffered in the Holocaust and in subsequent genocides around the world, and it is a reminder that we must all challenge and condemn prejudice and hatred wherever it is found. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Stephen Kerr. Thank you, Mr Speaker. May I associate myself with the comments the Prime Minister just made in relation to Holocaust Memorial Day? May I also say, as a proud Scot, that the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland is the most successful political union that the world has ever known. Said, does the Prime Minister agree with me that when Nicola Sturgeon demands a second independence referendum, only four years after we had the last one, that the UK Government should side with the majority of the people of Scotland and firmly tell her no? My honourable friend is absolutely right. As he points out, Scotland held a referendum in 2014. It was legal, it was fair, it was decisive, and the people clearly voted for Scotland to remain part of the United Kingdom. But more than that, at the general, last general election, uh, the people of Scotland again sent a very clear message that they do not want a second divisive referendum. But the SNP, sadly, are out of touch with the people of Scotland. They haven't yet heard that message. The last thing we want is a second independence referendum. The United Kingdom should be pulling together, not being driven apart. Jeremy Corbyn! Thank you, Mr Speaker. Sunday is Holocaust Memorial Day, a time for us all to reflect on the horrors of genocide and to recommit to never again to allow the poison of anti-Semitism and racism to disfigure our society in any way. And the Prime Minister was also right to acknowledge the other genocides that have happened since the Second World War. It's up to us to try to prevent such horrors ever happening again anywhere in the world. Mr Speaker, Mr. Speaker, after the overwhelming defeat of her deal, the Prime Minister says she wants solutions to the Brexit crisis that command sufficient support in the House. The Chancellor and the Business Secretary agree, and I quote, there is a large majority in the Commons opposed to no deal. So will the Prime Minister listen to her own Cabinet members and take no deal off the table? What? What I, members of the Cabinet and the whole Government are doing is working to ensure that we leave the European Union with a deal. And that is the way to avoid no deal, to leave the European Union with a deal. But I say to the Right Honourable Gentleman uh, that what I have been wanting to do and have been doing with members across this House is sit down and talk about how we can secure support in this House for a deal. The Right Honourable Gentleman... The Right Honourable Gentleman has been willing to sit down with Hamas, Hezbollah and the IRA without, without preconditions, yet he won't meet me to talk about Brexit. In this case, 
he is neither present nor involved. Mr Speaker, actually I did reach out to the Prime Minister last September when I offered to discuss our deals with her. And it appears that uh, it appears, Mr Speaker, that while the door to her office may well be opened, apparently the minds inside it are completely closed. She has no, shown no flexibility whatsoever in taking no deal off the table. The Chancellor reassured business that amendments would be put down that would have the effect of removing the threat of no deal, which is binding and effective. Given that those amendments are now tabled, will the Prime Minister confirm that if passed, they would rule out no deal? The right honourable gentleman. What we have seen is amendments being seeking to uh, engineer a situation where Article 50 is extended. Now that does not solve the issue. There will always be a point of decision, and the decision remains the same: no deal, a deal, or no Brexit. I'm delivering on Brexit. I want to do it with a deal. Why won't he come and meet me and talk about it? The only consistency in a strategy seems to be running down the clock on, on this by threatening no deal as an alternative to her dead deal. The CBI, Mr Speaker, says the projected impact of no deal on the UK economy would be devastating. Leaving with no deal would be a hammer blow to manufacturing industry in this country, costing jobs and damaging living standards. Last week, the Justice Secretary was asked if he ruled out a customs union. He said, I don't think we can. However, the same day, the Leader of the House said that we cannot be in a customs union. Can the Prime Minister be clear? Does her government rule out a customs union with the European Union? The right, the right Honourable Gentleman talks about a customs union, and I know that he's put an amendment down which refers to, well, the Labour Party used to refer to a comprehensive customs union, then it was a new customs union, now it's a permanent customs union. But the question, the question, I'm happy to sit down and talk to him about what he means by that. Does he mean accepting the common external tariff? Does he mean accepting the common commercial policy? Does he mean accepting the Union Customs Code? Does he mean accepting Does he mean accepting Does he mean accepting EU state aid rules? If he won't talk about it, there's only one conclusion. He hasn't got a clue. Mr Speaker, my question was, does the Prime Minister rule in or rule out a customs union? It's not complicated. She could have said yes, she could have said no. Mr Speaker, it's a key part of what Labour is putting forward and it's backed by the TUC, representing millions of workers. By by the CBI, representing thousands of businesses. It's backed by the First Ministers of Wales and Scotland, and indeed by many members of our own party, including apparently her own Chief of Staff. So can the Prime Minister explain why is she ruling out a customs union as a solution to the crisis? She could, for once, actually answer the question. I can try to help the right honourable gentleman here because I think I think when 
When many people talk about a customs union, what they want to ensure is that businesses can export to the EU without facing tariffs, quotas or rules of origin checks. Now, I agree, and the deal we negotiated delivers just that. But it also allows us to have an independent trade policy and do our own trade deals with the rest of the world. The benefits of a custom union and the benefits of our own trade policy. Mr Speaker, the International Trade Secretary promised 40 trade agreements, the second after Brexit. And this morning he couldn't name a single one. His own business minister said he was not impressed by sham trade agreements and not prepared to sell business down the river for other people's political dogma. So why is the Prime Minister prepared to sell people's jobs and living standards down the river rather than negotiate a customs union that would be part of a sensible deal for the future? The deal, now the deal that we negotiated did protect jobs uh, and it was rejected by this House. There, is a, there are some specific issues. There are some specific issues that members across this House have raised in relation to that deal, and we work on those. We've already responded on a number of issues on parliamentary involvement, on workers' rights, on citizens' rights, as a result of the conversations that we've had with members of this House. But what we want to ensure is that we get a deal that does protect jobs. But the right honourable gentleman is doing exactly what he always does. He just stands up, uses these phrases, and the honest answer is I don't think he knows what those phrases mean and what the implications of those phrases are. We will be protecting jobs in the UK with a good trade relationship with the European Union and enhancing and increasing jobs in the UK. And by the way, I see the right honourable gentleman hasn't referred to the employment figures this week, where we see employment up in this country as a result of this government. Mr Speaker, what the Prime Minister clearly didn't have time to mention was the rising levels of in-work poverty, personal debt and the problems people face in surviving at work. Mr Speaker, the door of office might be open, but the minds are closed and the Prime Minister is clearly not listening. Mr Speaker. Order. Order. People making an extraordinary noise from a sedentary position haven't got the slightest prospect of being called to ask a question unless on the paper. If they realise that and recognise their own folly. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Across the country, people are worried about public services, their living standards and rising levels of personal debt. While a third of her government are at the billionaire's jamboree in Davos, she says she's listening, but rules out changes on the two issues where there might be a majority, against no deal and for a customs union, part of Labour's sensible Brexit alternative. If the Prime Minister is serious about finding a solution, which of her red lines is she prepared to abandon? Could she name a single one? Right honourable gentleman, he talks, he makes claims about mines being closed, he asks about red lines. Why doesn't he just come and talk about it? And he talks, he talks, he talks about people up and down this country. He talks about people up and down this country and what they're seeing. Well, let me tell him what we've just seen this week. Borrowing this year at its lowest level for 16 years. 
the IMF saying that we'll grow faster than Germany, Italy and Japan this year. UN figures showing foreign direct investment in the UK up last year. Employment rate up, number of people in work up, wages up. And the biggest threat to all of that would be a Labour government. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. North Warwickshire and Bedworth voted overwhelmingly to leave the EU in 2016. And from the many uh, conversations I've had with constituents since then, if they were asked again, I'm in absolutely no doubt they would vote the same way again. So does the Prime Minister agree with me that there's no credibility at all for a second referendum? And actually what our constituents want to see is this Parliament doing what it promised it would by honouring the referendum yeah, result, yeah, which, yeah. as the benches opposite seem to have forgotten, was to leave the EU. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my my honourable friend is absolutely right. And not just he and I and, and all members of the Conservative Party here in this House, but members of the Labour Party in this House stood on a manifesto to respect the result of the referendum and to leave the European Union. I've you know, I've set out on a number of occasions my concern about uh, returning to the British people in a second referendum. I think people gave that clear message. We asked them to make the choice, they made the choice, and we should deliver on it. Ian Blackford. Yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join with the Prime Minister in marking uh, Holocaust Memorial Day? It is important that we reflect on the inhumanity of man-to-man that took place both at that time and, of course, subsequently, most recently, with the... Rohingya people. More has to be done to eradicate the risk that peoples throughout the world suffer from genocide. Mr Speaker, last November the government published an economic analysis of Brexit. It looked at four scenarios, but it didn't include the Prime Minister's deal. Can I ask the Prime Minister, has she done an economic analysis of her deal? If the the, the right honourable gentleman obviously looked carefully at the economic analysis, and he will have seen that in that economic analysis, uh, we did look at the impact of different issues in relation to uh, uh, the trade relation, and uh, and set that out very clearly. Uh, And what it what what it made absolutely clear was that the deal, the proposal that the government had put on the table uh, was the one that was best in terms of delivering on the referendum and ensuring that we were maintaining people's jobs and enhancing the economy. Ian Blackford. I can only take it from that answer, Mr Speaker, that there is no analysis yeah. on the government's plan. And when we reflect on the uh, paper that came out last November, Brexit will lead to a loss of up to 9% of GDP throughout the United Kingdom, costing jobs. Mr Speaker, it is the height of irresponsibility for the Prime Minister to bring a deal to this Parliament, and we haven't seen the economic impact. People up and down the United Kingdom are going to lose their jobs, are going to lose economic opportunity because of the ideology of this government. It is important that this House stands up and reflects on this and reflects on the economic security of our citizens. We have to be honest with people. We need to go back to the people and have a people's vote and let them determine what they want to do. We have been reflecting on the economic security of our citizens across the whole of the United Kingdom, and that is why we put forward proposals, the proposals that we did uh, uh, as a government last summer. It is why you see in the proposals uh, in the deal that we negotiated with the European Union in the political declaration that, that ambitious trade deal for the future. But if the right honourable gentleman wants to reflect on the interests of citizens, and in the interests of the citizens of Scotland, he should reflect on the fact that being part 
part of the United Kingdom is worth, and it's no good. The, the right honourable gentleman says he wants to know the figures and the economic analysis, and it's no good in them dismissing the figures and the economic analysis that show that being part of the United Kingdom is worth £10 billion in additional public spending, worth nearly £1,900 for every single person in Scotland. If he's interested in economics, stay in the United Kingdom and stop your policy of independence. Uh, Mr Speaker, I can tell the Prime Minister that the people of Romford remain rock-solid for leaving the European Union on the 29th of March. They don't want an extension of Article 50. They don't want another referendum. They want out. Deal or no deal. Will the Prime Minister assure the House that she will deliver on the biggest vote of the British people in history Come what may. Can I say to my honourable friend, yes, and he's absolutely right, that what we see, what we see uh, is in relation to this date, is actually, this is not just an arbitrary date, it was a date that effectively this House agreed to when it triggered Article 50, because it agreed, uh, understood in that Article 50 process that there was a two-year process, and that ends on the 29th of March 2019, as I said in response to the Right Honourable Gentleman, the Leader of the Opposition. Extending Article 50, I don't believe, resolves any issues, because at some point, members of this House have to decide whether they want to have a no-deal situation, agree a deal, or have no Brexit. Andrew Hendry. My constituent, Dennis Omundi, is a British citizen. He has uncontested custody of his young daughter, Anne, who is in Kenya. Despite visiting her as often as he can, she has been denied a visa because the Home Office claim he hasn't spent enough time with her. The problem is, Prime Minister, Dennis is a serving soldier in the British Army. He's stationed at Fort George and has served tours in Afghanistan, Iraq and Cyprus at the behest of the UK government. Does the Prime Minister believe this situation is fair? And will she look into how to reunite this loyal soldier and loving father with his daughter? Can I, can I first of all, can I first of all thank Dennis for his commitment to the, the uh, serving in our armed forces? All our armed forces do an incredibly important and brave job for us. I will ask. I, I'm sure the honourable gentleman will not expect me to be able to look at the details of a case at the dispatch box on the floor of the house, but I will ask the Home Secretary to look at the case and respond to him. Bone. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Prime Minister, your government is stuffed full of Remainer ministers who do not want to leave the European Union. Would you replace them with colleagues from these benches who actually believe in upholding the decision of the British people to leave the European Union on the 29th of March? Some job applications in my time, but that was quite an interesting one. And I say to my honourable friend, but can I just can I just say to my honourable friend, my position and the position of this government and ministers across this government is very clear. 
it is our duty to deliver on the vote of the British people to leave the European Union. The two-year process ends on the 29th of March. That is the position of the government. And of course, I'm always happy to consider job applications from my, uh, my honourable friend. But the basis of his application, I have to say, was not correct because the government is committed to taking the United Kingdom out of the European Union. Steve Reid! Uh, Britain is facing a homelessness crisis, and homelessness like food banks and child poverty is linked to deprivation. So how can she justify removing deprivation levels from her new council funding formula, taking money away from the weakest and the poorest in society, just so she can bail out failing Tory councils like Northamptonshire? I say to the Honourable Gentleman that we look obviously very carefully at the, arrange, at the formula that is required in order to ensure that we have uh, that fair funding between local authorities. As he will know there are many cases where actually some of the measures within uh, that have been used do not properly reflect the situation on the ground. We look very carefully at this to ensure that what we're doing is ensuring fair funding between, uh, between local authorities. Gillian Keegan. Thank you, Mr Speaker. To mark Holocaust Memorial Day, a Chichester choir will be coming to Parliament to perform Push, a moving opera about the life of Simon Gronowski, who was pushed off a train by his mother to spare him from certain death at Auschwitz. His mother and sister died, but Simon will be here to share his story, which shows us the best and worst of humanity, and at a time when anti-Semitism is rising across Europe um, and here in, in our communities. Would the Prime Minister agree it is vital that we learn the lessons of history to eradicate anti-Semitism? Semitism, and if possible, join us at the performance in Speaker's House next Monday. Well, can, I, can I thank my honourable friend for raising this important uh, issue and highlighting that case, which I think shows the horrors that so many people went through. During the, uh, during the Holocaust. Can I say to her that we obviously welcome the Chichester Choir to Parliament, uh, performing push, as she says, in the House today, and I'd like to commend them for their work in keeping alive this remarkable story of Simon Gronowski. Um, but, as I've just indicated, his story reminds us of the millions who were killed in the concentration camps, the absolute horror of the Holocaust. As I said, we should all remember that and remember genocides that have, carried, that have sadly occurred since, and condemn hatred and prejudice in all its forms, including anti-Semitism, wherever it's found. And there's no place for racial, racial hatred in our society. I'm, I apologise because I suspect I may not be able to attend the performance that my honourable friend has referred to, but I hope she will pass on my thanks to the choir for coming here and for the work that they're doing. Sarah Jones. Prime Minister promised after the Grenfell Tower fire that she would do whatever it takes to keep our people safe. Today, 19 months on, the vast majority, 85% of the hundreds of blocks <coughs> draped in exactly the same highly flammable cladding are still covered. The Shergard fire in Croydon shows that Grenfell is just the tip of the iceberg. Thousands of council and private buildings across the country don't have sprinklers, despite the fire services saying they are essential. Mr Speaker, the government doesn't even collect data on the number of fires in tower blocks. As the Prime Minister wastes billions on her no-deal gamble, there is a stench of complacency about these things that matter too. Mr Speaker, 
When will the Prime Minister be able to tell this country that she has honoured her promise? Can I say to the Honourable Lady that obviously making sure that people are safe and feel safe is a very important uh, very important for all of us that they are able to feel and be safe in their homes. And I understand residents' concerns over this issue of cladding. We fully expect building owners in the private sector to take action and make sure that appropriate safety measures are in place. Um, and make sure the safety measures are in place. Interim measures are in place when necessary on all of the 171 high-rise private residential buildings with the unsafe ACM cladding. But permanent remediation is rightly the focus, and we have repeatedly called on private building owners not to pass costs on to leaseholders. As a result of our interventions, 212 owners have either started, completed, or have commitments in place to remediate. There are 56 owners that are refusing to remediate. We are maintaining pressure on this, but we rule nothing out. Mr. Costa. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Non-surgical cosmetic treatments is an industry with no proper regulation. My constituent, Rachel Napier, suffered a terrible injury after a Botox filler was administered incorrectly. Will the Prime Minister assure me and this House that her government will look into appropriate regulation of non-surgical cosmetic treatments? Can I say to my honourable friend, first of all, can I extend my deepest sympathies to Rachel Napier? And, and we recognise that this growth in non-surgical treatments does increase the need for consumer protection. We're currently working with stakeholders to strengthen the regulation of cosmetics procedures, and we're committed to improving the safety of cosmetic procedures. And there are a number of ways that can be done: better training, robust qualifications for practitioners, but also clear information so that people can make informed decisions about their care. And we'd urge anyone who's seeking a cosmetic procedure to take the time to find a reputable, safe and qualified practitioner who's subject to statutory reg regulation or on an accredited voluntary register. But my honourable friend has raised an important issue. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In May 2018, Michel Barnier said that the only frictionless model for the future relationship with the UK would be Norway plus. Norway being part of the single market plus a customs union. This means a Norway plus Brexit would eliminate the need for the backstop and would also be agreed very rapidly, thus eliminating the need to extend Article 50. If the Prime Minister really wants to do away with the backstop and really wants to leave the EU on the 29th of March without the need for an extension, why doesn't she pivot to the Norway plus option today? First of all, it is not the case that that is the only way to provide frictionless trade between the United Kingdom and the European Union. Other options have been put on the table. The question of the extent of that uh, frictionless trade it will be a matter for the second stage of negotiations. Order. Closed question. Michael Fabricant. Yeah, 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 yeah. Question 11. I am pleased, uh, pleased to say to my honourable friend that, thanks to our economic record, there are 90,000 more small businesses in the West Midlands since 2010. The National Living Wage is giving over 170,000 people a pay rise in the West Midlands this year, and employment in the West Midlands has risen by 252,000 since 2010. And I can also say to my honourable friend, we will continue to support the region by investing over £430 million as part of the Greater Birmingham and Solihull Local Enterprise Partnership. Michael Fabrican. As ever, that's great news for the West Midlands. Yeah. But 
and it shows our firm economic policy. But now, will my right honourable friend welcome the new Birmingham Airport Master Plan, which addresses its growth in services for businessmen and holiday makers for the West Midlands? And will she commit the government to work with the airport to help it expand its long-haul route network, which is so important for businesses of Litchfield and our holiday makers and beyond. Well, we, we, uh, certainly we are supporting airports beyond Heathrow, such as Birmingham, to make the best use of their existing runways. I'm happy to welcome Birmingham's decision to publish this master plan because I understand, as my honourable friend has referred to, that it does aim to attract new long-haul routes in addition to the routes that it already runs. Um, but we're also committed to improving access to Birmingham Airport and, of course, for example, by 2026, the airport will be served by HS2, significantly reducing journey times to London and dramatically increasing the catchment area of the airport. Fluid. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister, even though Brexit is turning out to be very different from what voters were promised by the Leave campaign, are you now effectively saying to voters in opposing a people's vote that they, they had their say three years ago and must just put up and shut up? I think to say to the Right Honourable Lady that what we are saying is that this House overwhelmingly voted to, give, uh, to have the referendum in 2016 and for people to be asked their choice as to whether to leave or to stay in the European Union. I think when people voted to leave the European Union in 2016, there will have been a variety of reasons people voted that way. I think for many, they want an end to free movement. That's what we'll be delivering. I think for many, it was about sovereignty. That's why ending the jurisdiction of the European Court is important and independent trade policy is part of that. That is what the government is delivering. We're delivering on the vote that took place and ensuring we do it in a way that protects jobs and, and gives people certainty for the future. Rachel McLean. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Ten years ago, I had a cervical smear test that picked up some abnormalities which, if they'd been left untreated, could have developed into something much more serious. But unfortunately, Mr. Speaker, cervical screening is at a 21 year low and over a quarter of women don't take up this life-saving test. <coughs> so will the Prime Minister please join with me? We all know it's a bit uncomfortable and it can be embarrassing for some women, but will she please urge all women up and down the country to take up this life-saving test? Well yeah. can, I, can I say to my honourable friend, I think her uh, experience shows exactly why it is so important for women to take up this test. And we do need more to encourage women to undertake their cervical screening test. Public Health England will be launching a national campaign shortly to highlight the risks of cervical cancer and encourage women to attend their screening appointments. But I just, I just say this because I, you know, I know, uh, I as a Prime Minister can stand here and say this, I know what it's like to go through a cervical uh, smear test. It is, uh, it is not comfortable. Sometimes for some it will be embarrassing. Sometimes it's painful. Um, but those few minutes, those few minutes can save lives. So I would encourage all women to take up their smear tests. John Mann. Speaker, on the Monday before Christmas, my constituent Nathan Garrett, aged 18, was referred by his GP for emergency mental health support. On the Tuesday, he was helping others, delivering my Christmas cards as he delivered many leaflets in elections 
over the years. And later he asked the crisis team for emergency help and none was forthcoming. On the Wednesday Nathan went missing and on the Thursday I learned at the volunteers event that we have every Christmas and I was expecting to see him that it all got too much for him and he'd taken his life. Nathan Garrett was a brilliant, engaging, kind young man. He was a county athletic champion. He was a talented, brilliant musician. He was incredibly popular. His parents and his grandmother are here today. Would the Prime Minister agree with me that when a teenager needs emergency mental health support, that that support should be available within 24 hours. And would she ask her appropriate minister to meet with me and Nathan's family in order that we can push that forward today? First of all, can I say to the honourable gentleman that I'm sure that all members of the House will join me in sending our deepest condolences to Nathan's family and friends and all those who knew him. He sounds, it sounds from what the honourable gentleman said that he was an incredible young man. Uh, every life lost is a tragedy. Uh, the, the incidents that we see of suicide are deeply concerning, uh, and we, that's why we're taking action in relation to suicide prevention. The honourable friends. The Honourable Gentleman has also raised the issue of mental health provision, and we recognise the importance of increasing the provision for people who are suffering from mental health problems, and I'm very happy to ensure that the Honourable Gentleman can meet the appropriate Minister to discuss this. Lucy Allen. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Almost a year ago, the authorities in Telford agreed to commission an inquiry into child sexual exploitation in our town. This came after a lengthy campaign by victims and their families seeking justice and answers. The promised inquiry has not happened. There is no chairperson, there is no start date, it hasn't happened. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that the failure to hold the promised inquiry lets down victims, survivors and our community? And will she join with me in urging the Telford authorities not to sweep this under the carpet, but to deliver on their promises and to start this inquiry now? Yes. Well, can I say to my honourable friend that she's raised a very important issue and these crimes were utterly appalling. Uh, that's why we have given highest priority to tackling child sexual abuse and exploitation and it is very concerning uh, that, as my honourable friend has said, that this inquiry has taken so long to start, having been announced, as she said, in the spring of last year. It's in the interests of victims and survivors that the inquiry is set up and running as soon as possible. That's, that, that's what people deserve to be able to see that inquiry taking place, and I will ensure that a minister from the Home Office meets with my honourable friend to discuss this further. Stuart Housey. Last October at PMQs, I asked the Prime Minister about my constituent Hassan Mirza and his 10-year struggle simply to renew his passport. I wrote to the Prime Minister and received a holding response two months ago. Since then, his uncle has passed away and he could not attend the funeral. His wife is ill, but he cannot visit her or his children. This is unacceptable. So when will the Prime Minister finally give me a detailed answer, and when will she get a grip of the failings in the Home Office? I say to the Honourable Gentleman, I can only apologise to him that he has not had a detailed answer from me before now. I'm sure he gets that, but more than that, my right honourable friend, the Home Secretary, is happy to meet him and discuss the case. 
Jack Lepresti. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Will my right honourable friend join me in paying tribute to my constituent Bob Woodward, who sadly died on Sunday? When Bob's son Robert was diagnosed with cancer in 1976 at aged eight, he founded the charity Click Cancer and Leukaemia in Childhood. And over the following decades, he raised over £100 million in support of worthy causes which has changed lives. He was an inspirational figure and a great and compassionate man and recently had a train, one of the new Great Western Railway trains named after him. Oh. Will my honourable friend also join me in paying our condolences and our sympathies with his friends and family? Yeah. Well, yes, I'm I certainly happy to join my honourable friend in, in uh, expressing our sympathies and condolences to Bob Woodward's friends and family, but also in paying tribute to Bob. As my honourable friend has pointed out, he, after tragically losing his son to cancer, he dedicated his life to young cancer patients and their families and was able to use his success as a property developer in providing residences where families of young cancer patients could live while their child was receiving treatment. I think it's a fitting legacy that there are now 10 of these properties in the UK and Click is now a global organisation raising funds for care of families around the world. Bob Woodward suffered a terrible tragedy with the loss of his son, but he ensured that his work through his life is benefiting others. Ms McInnes. Speaker. This morning I received a letter from Santander saying that they're closing the branch in Middleton and suggesting that my constituents should avail themselves of banking services at Middleton Post Office, which in its turn is being franchised into the back of WH Smiths. So can the Prime Minister say what her policy is for our high streets other than just manage decline? Yeah. I say to the, obviously individual banks take commercial decisions. It sounds as if there will be still post office services available in the high street that the Honourable Lady has, uh, has referred to. Um, but we are concerned about the, uh, helping to manage our high streets and ensuring that we do have uh, those good high streets for the future. That's why in the budget the Chancellor announced funding which is available to local authorities to work on them for plans for their high streets. James Gray. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Will the Prime Minister join me in reassuring the people of North Wiltshire, and indeed the nation, that despite the announcement yesterday that they're to move their corporate headquarters and two senior executives to Singapore, the commitment of Dyson to Britain remains undiminished, as is evidenced. As is evidenced, as is evidenced by the two hundred million pounds he's investing in his research and development site at Lavington, and the forty million pounds investing in the engineering and design college at Malmesbury, he's totally and utterly committed to Great Britain, and this announcement yesterday has no effect at all on that commitment. To my honourable friend, that Dyson uh, are clear that they will continue to have a long-term uh, future in the UK. They've trebled their workforce to 4,800 over the last five years. But of course, what matters to companies uh, like Dyson is having a government that is unapologetically pro-business, which this government is, and a government is ensuring that our balanced economic policy sees uh, increasing employment, exports, and foreign direct investment in uh, UK companies uh, at record highs. Tim Farron. Speaker, may I wish you, the Prime Minister and everybody here, a very happy Cumbria Day. There is a vast array <laughs> of, uh, of produce available. Beer from Kirby Lonsdale, relish from Hawkshead, delish pies, tea and coffee from uh, Pennington's. All the stuff she might need for a packed lunch if she's considering a walking holiday Stop anytime uh, soon. Um, could I remind her, of course, that... Uh, uh, Cumbria contains, after London, Britain's biggest tourist destination, but today Cumbria has come to London. Can I invite her and indeed everybody else here to come and join us in the Jubilee Room straight after PMQs to sample the best of Cumbria? It is a sort of one-man tourist board. We're grateful to him. The Prime Minister. 
can I say to the right honourable gentleman that he has, he has uh, done a good job in promoting the benefits of Cumbria, which I'm sure will be joined by my honourable friends and uh, others across this, uh, across this House. I thank him for listing the very many items I might want to put in my packed lunch when I go on a, a walking holiday. But I, I'm afraid I'm, I'm bound to say to uh, the right honourable gentleman that while I recognise that Cumbria has good produce, Berkshire has good produce too. Yeah. Oh.